listening to audio from Faith Church, located on the north side of Indianapolis. If you'd like to check out more information about our church and ministry, please visit faithchurchindy.com. Our scripture today is from Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he is risen as he said, come, come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, So about 10 years ago when we lived in St. Louis, my wife Amelia and I were woken out of a sound sleep at three in the morning. The windows were rattling, the floor was shaking, and we had no idea what was going on. So I jump up out of bed and I go to look out of the window and and see what I can figure out. And I turn to Amelia and I say, wait, what? What's happening? Side note, I startle very easily, but I wake up really hard. So if you have an emergency need in the early hours of the morning, I'm probably going to hand the phone to my wife, Amelia, because I am useless until I am fully awake. It wasn't an emergency call. It wasn't a neighborhood house party. It was an actual earthquake. Although our friends in California would scoff, it it was relatively small. It only lasted a minute or so. And uh, it, it, it it didn't measure big on the Richter scale. But it definitely got our attention. It was enough to shake the house. It was enough to throw us off our balance and enough to make us wonder what was going on. Like here in the Midwest, we don't know what to do. We know what to do with tornadoes, right? But what do you do when the ground underneath you is literally unstable? And and you don't know where to look or what to think. You don't know uh, where to stand. You don't know what to expect. Your world is turned upside down, right? And it's one thing when it's an earthquake, especially if it's a mild one, but That's what grabbed my attention in this story about Jesus' resurrection. There is a great earthquake, and it accompanies the news of Jesus' resurrection. It's a physical act that reflects what God is doing. Jesus' resurrection turns our world upside down. Now, I've I've been, yeah, upside down. I've, I've been in scary, overwhelming situations, and, and you probably have too. I mean, you may be living through some right now, but the response of these women to, to this world being turned upside down is not what we'd expect. 
Okay, the, the ground shakes. An angel from the Lord shows up and says their dead friend is alive again and gives them a message to take the others. And look at their response in verse 8. This is what gets me. They departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. Okay, joy and terror combined? Have you ever had an experience like that? I mean, when we think about fear, we understand how to respond to that. Like, make it stop, get me out of here. But joy and fear combined? I mean, the closest that I could think of related to this was when our first child, our daughter Jacqueline, was born. All right, there was this sense of awe and, and wonder and gratitude and amazement also feared with, uh, joined with this overwhelming sense of like fear. Like this human is now 100% our responsibility. Like I am totally on the hook for her life, her safety, her happiness for at least the first several years of her life. And, and then friends and candy and TV will take over from there. Joy and terror, right? That, that little baby girl turned our world upside down, but in a good way. Maybe you've had an experience like that. You actually got that important job that you didn't think you had any chance of getting, and you're pretty sure you're not qualified for, and now people are counting on you. Or that person you want to spend the rest of your life with actually said yes, and, and now you're realizing, oh, this is serious. And, and you're not really sure what to do, and everything looks different. The earth shakes, the, the ground under you becomes unstable. And, and what if everything that you thought about life and the way things work and what matters, what if it was all suddenly turned upside down, but in a good way? kind of like the line from Lord of the Rings, is everything sad going to come untrue? That's Easter. That's what God is doing. He's turning the world upside down. Let's look at it together. If you haven't already, you can open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. If you want one of those black Bibles in front of you, underneath, it's on page 992. In verse 1, the day does not start in any particular unusual way. These, these women are going to see the tomb of their friend Jesus who has died, and they're simply going there to remember him and honor him. And, and if you look back up a few verses in the end of chapter 27, the religious leaders, the political leaders, aren't expecting anything unusual either. They say, you know, we remember when this guy Jesus was alive, how he told his followers he was going to rise again in three days. So, to prevent them stealing the body and then claiming anything unusual happened, they convinced the governor to set a guard and seal the tomb, right? The, the, the human authorities have marshaled all of their resources to control the situation, but they have no power to stop what God is going to do. Look, look in verse 2. Again, behold, there's this great earthquake. An angel of the Lord descends from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. I just love that image. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing was white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. 
Do you see what's going on here? Matthew wants us to get the picture. There is no power that can stop an earthquake. I mean, it's kind of foolish to think, right? Like you're, you're going to stand up to an angelic messenger from the throne of God with a sword and some armor. All the earthly authorities are overmatched by Jesus' resurrection power. That's the point. God is doing something here in Jesus that no one can stop. A few years ago, uh, many of us enjoyed the, the musical Hamilton. And uh, there's a song in there when the revolutionaries have the British army surrounded at Yorktown and they surrender, the world turned upside down, right? I mean, a, a ragtag group of colonials defeats a world power. That is big news. But it's not exactly the world turned upside down. Jesus' resurrection is more than just big news, right? It, Jesus' resurrection turns power itself upside down. It, it shows us the true nature of all power and authority and demonstrates that Jesus is the one who is Lord over all. There is no one and nothing that can confront or match or overpower Jesus. Do, do you see the response of the women in verse 9? Jesus comes and greets them, and they come up and they take hold of his feet. They lie down at their feet and at his feet and worship him. Every state, every allegiance, every authority, every commitment is inferior and secondary to Jesus. Jesus turns your world upside down, and the proper response is worship and trust. That's, that's what the angel is saying in verse 6. He's not here. He is risen as he said, as promised. Jesus is the one power, the one authority that you can trust. He will never lie to you. He will never disappoint you. He will never be untrustworthy. He will never go back on what he has said. Jesus has told his followers in advance that he would die and rise again. And now a messenger from God shows up to remind these disciples and reassure them. Everything Jesus has said comes true. He is the one who is in control. He turns power upside down. You can trust him because these women know who he is, what he is like. We get a hint of that in verse 9 again. Behold, Jesus meets them and I just, just stop right there and, and let's set the scene again. Try and enter into this, okay? The, the guards are, have fallen down in fear like dead men because of this angelic messenger who has shown up, not, you know, like a nice polite guy in a robe and a halo and wings, but a, a shimmering spiritual being that reflects the resplendent glory of God and and that's just the messenger that calls them, causes them to fall down in fear. Now, if you were to see God himself, the God of glory, the, the God of all majesty, the, the one who rules over every power and every created thing, whose, 
whose brilliance and perfection is beyond human description, the God who tells his chosen servant Moses, you may not see me and live. If that God were to show up, the God who has now demonstrated that he has authority over death itself, what would you expect? Hi, Jesus says. That's literally it. Greetings. Hello there. Cool as a cucumber. It, it's just the ordinary, everyday Greek word for greeting someone. It, it comes from a, a verb that means to be happy, to be uh, well off, to rejoice. It, it's a lot like shalom in Hebrew that means peace. It, it's a greeting. It's a blessing. It's just the ordinary way you say hi to someone. Shalom. Greetings, Jesus says. Don't you love imagining Jesus saying this with a, with a little smile playing at the corner of his mouth like, like he knows what's going through their heads and, and he's pleased with what he's just pulled off and, and, and he's trying to put them at ease too. He doesn't overwhelm them with his majesty. Hey, greetings. It's good to see you. Because that's Jesus. He, he turns a lot of our ideas about what God is like upside down. You see, God is not fundamentally some frowning, disappointed judge who's, who's just waiting to catch you doing something wrong so, so he can come down on you. It, it doesn't mean there's nothing wrong with us. I mean, that is why Jesus went to the cross. Because there is something profoundly wrong with us. He took on himself the punishment that our sins deserve. He became the Lamb of God who's Blood was the sacrifice that washes away our sins. Because there's something deeply wrong in us, but God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him we would be saved. Jesus turns judgment upside down. Do, do you see that? Matthew records an, another earthquake in, in the previous chapter, in verse, uh, chapter 27, in verse 51. As Jesus dies on the cross, the curtain of the temple is torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks split open. We've all known good people, wise, kind, strong, loving people. They all had their flaws and faults, every one of them. Not Jesus. I mean, he, he is God in human form. I mean, he claimed it himself, and then he authenticated it by his miracles, by his power, and now by this resurrection victory. And, and when he dies, the one, the one good, sinless, perfect, right person the earth protests, the ground quakes in rebellion that the God who created it and formed it would actually pour out his blood, that the creature would be saved by the death of the creator. God bears God's own judgment for our sins. And, and the temple... The, the curtain that separates a holy God from an unholy people is torn in two to demonstrate that Jesus in his body has now 
said we have freedom to approach God because of what he is doing. He turns judgment upside down because he takes it on himself. What do we do with this? What do you do in response to that? Look, at, look again at the response of the women in verse 9. They come and they take hold of his feet and they worship him. Now, let's be honest. Resurrection in, in and of itself does not compel worship. Jesus raised other people from the dead. Even some of the Old Testament prophets raised people from the dead. We don't, rest, we don't worship them. But Jesus' resurrection vindicates, it authenticates everything that he has said about himself, especially that he is God in the flesh. I mean, this is a man who said, when you see me, you have seen God. I and the Father are one. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Before Abraham was, I am. And in Jesus' resurrection, he proves that he is God in the flesh and worthy, deserving of worship. Jesus' resurrection turns our priorities upside down, changes all our priorities in the way that we see things, all the things that we work for, all the things that we want, all the things that we worry about, we see them differently now because of Jesus' resurrection. It opens up to us a whole new life, a whole new way of seeing and valuing things and measuring what's important. Because if Jesus is really alive, and he is, then he is the leader to follow and the savior to tell people about. That's what the angel and Jesus commissioned these women to do. The angel has said, go tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. And Jesus says to them, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Side note, in every gospel account, it is the women who are the first witnesses to Jesus' resurrection. I mean, that is significant, especially since in that day and in that culture, women were very devalued. Their testimony was not even considered reliable in law courts. See, the, the, the culture, whatever culture we live in, whatever time it is, will tell you who's important and who's worthy and what your value is, who you're supposed to like and trust and what's important in life and all the ways that we have for judging people, for categorizing them, for prioritizing them, all the ways that we have for measuring success. Jesus turns it all upside down in a good way. So, so what does all that mean for us? First of all, it means that, that your failures are not fatal. Jesus has come to die for our failures, to pay the price, to reconcile us, and to make us right again. He came to die for our sin, our brokenness, our rebellion, our disobedience. He is the one who makes peace with God for us through his blood on the cross. Look at what Jesus says again in, in verse 10, this, this great little word, go and tell who? My brothers. 
Jesus has told his disciples in advance that he's going to die and they're all going to scatter and leave him behind. But he is also foretold that he would come and forgive them and restore them. He calls them his brothers. He doesn't say, go tell those failures, those cowards who ran out. Remember, he's telling the women, the women were the faithful ones who stood at the cross as he died when all the men ran off. And he doesn't say to the women, go tell those failures, go tell those losers, those guys. He says, go tell my brothers. He loves us in our failures. Our failures do not define us. The mistakes that you've made are not the final chapter. The sins that you struggle with, they do not give you your ultimate identity. God doesn't measure you by your failures, but by Jesus' faithfulness, if you are in him. Through faith in Jesus, you are forgiven, you are loved, you are new, you are alive, you are free. Jesus died and rose again to disarm the fear that judgment brings. We're free. Your failures, you're not fatal, but Jesus also passes judgment on our judgment. See, because we know that we are free, we've been set free, we are loved and forgiven in Christ, that frees us to stop being so judgmental of others. We can live differently following Jesus in a culture that is so self-righteous and so judgmental and so intent on putting people in boxes and putting labels on them and saying who's in and who's out. And Jesus turns all of that upside down. Your failures are not fatal and your life is not futile. Your life is not futile. You matter. If you've never heard someone else say to you, I am with you. I love you. I believe in you. You matter. Hear Jesus saying it to you in his resurrection. Because that's the message that Jesus brings. I love you and you matter. Not because you get straight A's. Not because you speak three languages. Not because you're an accomplished professional. Not because you obey well. Not because your kids are doing great not because of the house you live in or what you've accomplished. I love you because you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And you are worth the cost of my own sacrificial death. That's how much you matter to me. I am for you and I am glad that you're here and you matter and the world is better because you are in it. Your life is not futile. You matter. And the best is yet to come. You have a hope and you have a future in Jesus Christ. And for all of us who've heard this Easter news, we are commissioned just like these women were. His word to us is what the angel says to the women. Come and see where he lay and then go and tell. Come and see and go and tell. 
If you know the risen Jesus, if you have seen his power at work and his transformation, you have a message of hope that others need to hear and you are commissioned to go and tell. There is nothing that you will invest your life in in this world that is more significant than that. And it doesn't mean that 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 becomes your job. It means that whatever your job is, whatever your work is, wherever you're in school, wherever you live, you are now an ambassador for Jesus Christ. And this message of significance and hope and transformation that is for all people. Because you know the risen Jesus and, and you are now inviting others to know him. You make a difference in people's lives. Your life matters because you are representative of Jesus and you're reflecting him to your world. And finally, your death is not final. That is the big message of Easter today. Your death is not final. Death has been defeated. It's an enemy, but but it's an enemy whose power has been broken by Jesus. The grave is not the end of the story. And, And I know some of you are living through painful health challenges. You've received scary diagnoses. You're in the middle of difficult relationships or painful realities. My brother's fighting pancreatic cancer. And that's a story that's repeated over and over again in all of our lives. The reality is that living in this broken world, we will struggle and we will suffer and we will most likely die unless Jesus comes back first. But because of Jesus, death doesn't get the final word. Jesus gets the final word. And he wins, and he wins in a way that even makes death our greatest enemy now serve God's purposes because to live is Christ and to die is gain now. Pain and death are still real and they still have a power, but but they've kind of been defanged. In our house in St. Louis, we had an invisible fence to to keep our little dog in the yard. And that dog learned how far in the yard she could safely travel. The neighbor's cat also learned how far our dog could safely travel. And in the most perfect example of cat-like behavior, she would sit three feet outside the barrier and just sit there calmly while our little dog is running back and forth and barking her head off and going crazy, and the cat is not bothered in the least because she knows the dog cannot do anything to her. Death can stalk and bark and growl, but Jesus has turned death upside down so that now we win. A terrible enemy is disarmed and now holds no fear over God's people because Jesus is alive. You know, 10 years ago, Amelia and I were woken up at 3 in the morning, startled by something that grabbed our attention. We struggled to get our footing, to make sense of what was happening, and then it was over. We went back to sleep. We maybe talked about it a little bit the next day, but it had no impact on our lives until today when it became a useful sermon illustration. (laughs) Right? It happened. We forgot about it. We went past it. What happened on Easter, though, it is still reverberating 
through history and in people's lives because Christ is risen. And because he is risen, the world is turned upside down. Don't miss it. Don't sleep through it. Don't walk past it. God wants to turn your world upside down in a good way, in the best way. That's the promise. That is the power of Easter. Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. Let him turn your world upside down in the best way. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this best day of all days. The day when we remember and celebrate, not just something that happened 2,000 years ago, but something that is still real and alive, that Jesus is alive. And that makes all the difference. Oh God, turn our worlds upside down and, and right side up in the best way possible. That we would see everything through this lens of Jesus' resurrection because Jesus is alive. Everything has changed. Help us to live with that hope and that promise and that power. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.